the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday to you. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We've got about an hour, and we're going to need all of it here to talk about what you just listened to. Red Sox fall to the Twins. Final score, 8-4 to four with the loss. The Red Sox 3-4 and four in the season, 0-1 in their Fenway slate. We do go up until 7 o'clock, and then it's Jazz with George Thomas, and then I and the World. You can get in, as always, on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also check us out on uh, all of our various social media streams as well, including Facebook Live and YouTube Live. You can get your comments in there. We are still going to talk with former Major League Baseball closer and three-time All-Star Heath Bell. Nice enough to kind of push back his time slot with us. He'll join us in about 15 minutes or so. So Heath Bell will be with us still and uh, get a little bit on the Celtics and Nets. So uh, Phil in Middlesex says he'd trade both Bogarts and Devers this summer. Phil, I don't have enough time in today's show to get to that. We'll probably have to tackle that one on Monday, but it's in the hopper for the weekend for me to think about. So uh, let's get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. As I'm watching this game and it's unfolding, and the Red Sox are down four or are down four uh, one, and they're down, you know, they're down six four, and then they're down eight four, and then they ultimately lose eight four. As I'm watching all of this unfold, I really just kept coming back to the same thing. There is just one takeaway from this game. Like I got other talking points, I got some other things I want to get into, but really, there is one overarching takeaway from today's Red Sox loss. The Red Sox really, really badly need Nick Pavetta to be good. The Red Sox, if the Red Sox are going to accomplish what they want to win this season, especially in the first half until Chris Sale comes back, they are going to need the good version of Nick Pavetta. They truly cannot afford what they got today. I'm not trying to be doomsday. I understand all of the cliches, it's early, or it's only two starts, or it's a small sample size. That's all true. I'm not here to tell you that Pavetta is garbage, but and I'm not giving up on Pavetta, but I am stating a fact. If the Red Sox want to accomplish their goals, if they want to play deep into October, they cannot afford to have Nick Pavetta be shaky. The rest of the rotation, for my money, outside of Evaldi, is already pretty wobbly, you're going to need Pavetta to be stable, to be a stabilizing force. And what you got today is the opposite of that. If this is the Nick Pavetta the Red Sox get, this is not a playoff team. Simply put, if Nick Pavetta is like this all year, 
The Red Sox are not a playoff team. If Nick Pavetta turns it around and is nails from here on out, the Red Sox are a team that can certainly contend for the division crown, but certainly I would say is a safe bet for a wild card. That's how important Nick Pavetta is to this team. That's how important his performance is in is, is to this team. We've said all along, or at least I've said all along, that the pitching staff as a whole was the weakness of this team. Now, I was a little more worried about the bullpen, but the rotation has proven to be very worrisome without Chris Sale. Coming into today's game, so the six games you played on the road before you got home, coming into this game, the Red Sox starting rotation ERA was over nine. Coming into today, the starting rotation's ERA was greater than nine. And then today, Pavetta had an ERA of 18, pushing it even higher. You simply cannot function that way as a baseball team. And the reason why so much is being placed upon Pavetta from me is that I don't have a ton of faith in the guys who are behind him in this rotation. While he threw well in Detroit the other day, I don't have a whole lot of faith in 42-year-old Rich Hill. I like Tanner Houck. I think Tanner Houck is good, but we haven't seen it enough for us to have ultimate faith in him. I don't love Michael Waka. I have confidence in Ivaldi. I'm worried about the other three. Pavetta has to be a guy that we don't worry about. There's enough worries in this rotation for us to be worrying about him as well. I simply can't have it. When Chris Sale comes back, if he's 80% of the Chris Sale that we remember, he's at least a good major league starter. He may not be an ace. He may not be your game one playoff starter. He may not contend for the all-star game or for the Cy Young. But if he is at least 80% of what he was, then he's a representative good major league starter. So you have uh, Valdi, who we love, Sale, who would at least be serviceable in the rotation, you need Pavetta to be a stabilizing force. I cannot have the scales tipped negatively by Pavetta being bad. What we saw today was bad Nick Pavetta. You cannot have this very often this season. Got behind in counts, walked guys. He had some bad luck at the beginning of the game. That bloop double by Buxton never should have happened, but it did. But Pavetta gets behind in the count, didn't have a feel for his fastball, walked guys, and they and it came back to haunt him. And he lasts just two innings. Can't have that. There's enough other questions about this pitching staff. We got questions about Matt Barnes. We got questions about uh, about 42-year-old Rich Hill. You got questions about Waka. There's questions all over the place. Pavetta cannot be a question. And today... He was not he was worse than a question. He was a downright liability today. I had huge expectations for Nick Pavetta coming into this season. I really felt like it was his time after the playoff run last year. He was so impressive, especially coming out of the bullpen. And he pitched with such emotion and he gave this team such a lift. I thought he was going to carry that into this year. And look. He may very well figure it out. He certainly has good stuff, but they needed him to hit the ground running, and he hasn't hit the ground running. With Chris Sale out, they needed him to step up and be a true top 
two rotation guy behind Nathan Evaldi, and he hasn't been that. Nine, an ERA of nine for Red Sox starters coming in to today's game, and it only got worse because of what Pavetta did today. Good baseball teams, playoff teams cannot have that. And yes, it's only seven games, but if it turns into 14 games and 21 games and 28 games, well, then all of a sudden you're looking at a real big problem. Nick Pavetta can offset that problem by being the guy from last year's playoff run. He cannot be the guy from today. You cannot be a major league team that has one rotation member that you really trust. And that's where we're at right now with the Red Sox. Hauk has potential. He hasn't proven it. Waka has a track record, but recently he's been spotty at best. He's been streaky at best. Hill has a track record, but how quickly until forty until the 42-year-old falls off the rails? How many times can we count on Garrett Whitlock to bail him out? There's all kinds of questions there's all kinds of concerns, and Pavetta needs to be an answer, and today he wasn't. You cannot, it's the golden rule of baseball. You cannot walk people at the bottom of the order. You cannot walk the leadoff guy and you, of an inning, and you cannot walk the bottom of the order. And what happens in the second inning? Trevor Larnick, who was had one at bat this entire season, he walks, and then Miguel Sano, who was 0 for 19 coming into this season, he gets you for a two-run homer, and boom, just like that, it's three to nothing. Cannot have that. Just cannot have that. Walk a guy who has one plate appearance or has one at bat all season, and then give up a homer to a guy who's one for nine now, or after that hit one for twenty previously, zero for nineteen. This Red Sox team let Eduardo Rodriguez go in free agency. They let him go in free agency, I'm sure, in part because they felt that they had an answer in-house in Nick Pavetta. Be that answer. I got it, and I got to say, I have championed High and Bloom from day one. I have defended High and Bloom from all of you. I do believe he's done a lot of great things, and I ultimately believe in him long-term. However, you can't only worry about long-term. There is a short term also. There is a now also. And between the handling of the contract stuff for Devers and Bogarts and now this pitching staff not being as deep as it needs to be to go through a 162-game season, I got to say, I'm not loving this aspect of High and Bloom. I think he's great for the future. But there's more than just a future. There is a now. And the Red Sox haven't done a good enough job, in my mind, of fully addressing the now. They could have signed Michael Conforto, didn't. They could have gone after Saya Suzuki, didn't end up winning that bidding war either. They didn't get Correa, they didn't get Simeon, they did get Story, so I'm fine with all that, but they didn't get Robbie Ray, they didn't go after Kenley Jansen, they didn't trade for Craig Kimbrell, they didn't do any of those things to address holes that they had. And the rotation now is not as deep as it should be. You are relying on question. Look, what is the difference? Okay, Rich Hill and Michael Waka. What is the real difference between Garrett Richards and Martin Perez? There's not. They are basically in the same spot they were last year. They don't have Chris Sale. They have 
they have stopgap guys at the back end of the at the back end of the rotation, and their bullpen isn't as good as it was last year. Ah, that's not fair. The back end of the bullpen is not as good as it was last year, and now you don't have Erod, and now you have Pavetta who hasn't been able to step up yet. They need Pavetta to step up, and not only Pavetta losing today loses the game. Pavetta losing today is another blight on the starters this season, but Pavetta doing what he did today has really hurt you for the rest of this series. This is a four-game series against the Minnesota Twins, and your bullpen now is in not great shape heading into games two, three, and four. Pavetta, in game one of a series, you need to set the tone. Set the tone, go five, go six, save the bullpen for later in the series, and Pavetta goes two innings, and here's what we got. Phillips Valdez throws 37 pitches. He's done for tomorrow. Very well, might be done for Sunday. Sawamura throws 40 pitches. He's done for tomorrow, likely is done for Sunday. Brazier's good. Austin Davis throws 21 pitches. He's probably done for tomorrow. And Matt Barnes throws 27 pitches. He's definitely done for tomorrow. Not only do you lose, not only is it another hit to your starting rotation and its reputation and its performance, but the bullpen now is not set up for success moving forward. You've got Diekman. You've got Robles. So there are some answers down there, but there's significantly less answers and less places for Alex Cora to turn to. I mean, if we go out tomorrow and, you know, Hauk goes, go, you know, goes four innings, the bullpen is scrambling to fill that. The bullpen would be scrambling to fill that. I mean, right now, not a great situation out of the Red Sox starters, and Pavetta needs to be a guy that you can count on. I hope he gets there because right now he's not it. Other things that are kind of worrisome here, Xander Bogarts is 2-for-18 since his injury on opening day. Remember in extra innings against the Yankees when Bogarts hit that kind of bleeder single and then he got pulled because he tweaked his hamstring? He played the next day. But since then, he's 2-for-18. 2-for-18. Two for 18 with eight strikeouts. He was 0 for 4 today with three strikeouts. Looks kind of lost at the plate. I'm not saying necessarily that he's injured. I'm not saying that he should be on the injured list. Maybe it is just a slump. But when you look at it, this is a guy who had three hits on opening day, and since he got hurt, he's 2 for 18. They need Bogarts to be better. We've talked a lot about how he deserves a better contract, and he does. But when you go out and you go 2 for your last 18, all you are doing is giving more ammunition to the people who don't think you deserve that contract. Matt Barnes, I've told you from the start I was worried about him. I said I didn't think the team trusted him. Turned out he had a bad back. Now they're kind of trying to ease him in, trying to get him into some confidence building situations. And it's six to four today in the bottom of the or in the top of the ninth. You have a, you know, at least a puncher's chance at coming back in this game. Matt Barnes comes in, and what do we get? Two walks, a hit batter, a single, a fielder's choice, two runs, and now all of a sudden it's 8-4 to four and the game is over. Barnes needs thir- uh, 27 pitches to get through one inning, two walks, a hit batter, 
throws a lot of changeups. Matt Barnes threw more changeups in one inning than he's done since 2016, I think was the stat I read. I think he threw six changeups in 27 pitches. I don't know that I've ever seen Matt Barnes throw a changeup. So his command's not great. His velocity is still down. He was hitting 94 miles an hour, kind of regular. That was his average today. Still down. We used to see him at 97. So command down, velocity down. And then when you throw six changeups in a big league game, when you haven't thrown that many in an inning since 2016, you are searching for answers. Not only do they not necessarily trust you, he doesn't seem to trust his own stuff right now, given by what his pitch mix is. I'm going to ask Heath Bell about some of the struggles that Matt Barnes has been through for the last the last half of last year and now moving into this year. So uh, former All-Star closer Heath Bell is going to be with us here in just a couple of moments. Here, here are some of your highlights from today's game, and most of them are Twins highlights. So if you missed any of this broadcast, here's kind of how things played out. The Twins got up. Let me see where my notes are. Twins got up one to nothing. So in the first inning, there was a bleeding double by Byron Buxton. He ended up getting hurt. Ball was lost in the sun. It really, you know, it really wasn't a hit, but you know, they have to give it a hit. So he then leaves with an injury, and then Luis Arise comes to the plate and makes it one nothing by singling. I mean, the highlights that we get sent are kind of all out of order here. So it's going to take me a moment to find them. But uh, this is the one. Arise single made it one nothing. Twins in the first. Two ball, two strike pitch to Arise. And he swings and lines one to left center. It's going to drop for a hit. Cut off. No, it's not cut off. Bobbled out there by Kike. A run scores. And it's one nothing Twins as Nick Gordon crossed the plate. He would not have scored, but Verdugo went to lunge for it and missed it. Yeah, it wasn't great outfield defense today either, now that you mentioned it, Joe. So that made it one nothing. This made it 3 nothing. This is the one that uh, really hurt Pavetta, Miguel Sano. 1-1 pitch from Pavetta, slowing it down again with a runner on, and a curve is hit deep to left field. Back goes Verdugo looking up, and this ball is gone into the monster seats. Yeah, that made it 3 nothing. Arise got into the action again. He made it 4 nothing in the inning. Delivers home, and a line drive hit down the right field line where the pesky pole it hits on the track. Kicks back to the side wall. This is going to score Nick Gordon easily. Arise on his way to third. Now he puts on the brakes and retreats. If you're looking for Red Sox highlights, they came in the form of a couple of homers. How about Alex Verdugo, who hit another one? This one was a shot off Joe Ryan. And he swings and drives the first hit. pitch deep to right center. Hit. See you later. Mo called it. Home run for Dugo. That's into the one bleachers. of my favorite guys. Um, he's got tremendous. He's a great player. And he's got plays with tremendous emotion. And it seems like, you know, he, he just wills it. And, and I love him. He's that, he's that guy that, you know. That's Mo Vaughn, former Red Sox first baseman and MVP from 1995. He was in the booth there. He was part of the opening uh, day ceremonies at Fenway. And the best highlight for the Red Sox was who else but Rafael Devers. He hit a home run on a pitch that was like 98 miles an hour, inside, off the plate, not a strike. He golfs it out the right field for a two-run jack. This one made it 6-4. Uh, the pitch. Swing. There's a drive to right field. Down the line, deep toward the corner, and this ball is gone! A high, towering rainbow. Rafi Devers with a two-run homer, and it's 6-4 Minnesota. Yeah, that one actually hit off the top of the fence. Okay, The top of the fence down by the pesky pole 
and then went over. The right fielder, Kyle Garlick, definitely misplayed it. Like He ended up like six feet away from that ball when he could have caught it without even having to go into the stands. But nonetheless, it hits the top of the wall. It goes into the stands, and the Sox get it within 6-4. But again, Matt Barnes gives up a couple of runs in the uh, top of the ninth, and that's where we get our finishing score of 9-4, or of 8-4, to four, rather. So the Sox back home again tomorrow against the Twins. Our coverage is going to begin tomorrow at uh, 3-10. First pitch is 4-10. Sonny Gray is on the mound for the Twins, the newly acquired starter. They required him in the offseason in a trade with the Cincinnati Reds. So Gray, who is pitched for the uh, A's, that's where he got famous from. A's, then he was traded to the Yankees, really struggled. Then he ended up in Cincinnati. Now he is with Minnesota. Had a pretty good start his first time out. So it's Sonny Gray against Tanner Houck tomorrow. Again, that will be a 4-10 start. Sox 3-4 and four on the year. The Twins, the same. All right, let's get out to our phone line. Uh, let's get out to our guest on the other side of this commercial break. Heath Bell is going to join us. Three-time Major League All-Star, a closer. You know him mostly with the San Diego Padres. I'll ask him. Matt Barnes has had a lot of issues in the back half of last year into the spring of this year. What exactly goes through the mind of a closer? Heath Bell is going to be with us next on WDEV. 5 Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let's go right out to the phone line and get to our next guest, a guy I'm very excited to bring on for the first time ever on the Brady Farkas Show. It's Heath Bell, former Major League Baseball closer, three-time All-Star, played with multiple teams, most notably the Padres, but also the Mets, Diamondbacks, Rays, and Marlins, too. He's also got his own podcast now on the Believe Podcast Network. Heath, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Good. I appreciate you being with us. We're into the real teeth of the baseball season. We've already got already got controversy here in the early going. What was your take on the Clayton Kershaw situation from the other day? You know, personally, I would love to see him go out there, and I probably would have stayed there and maybe threw it underhand or just lobbed the ball <laughs> like a lot of position players do. But, you know, the thing is, I know Clayton a little bit from my playing days, and I definitely know Dave Roberts from my playing days. And, and I really think Clayton was – he wants to be the Clayton Kershaw that we all knew and, and loved. And, and, you know, the last two years had a little injury prone. Um, just probably, I don't know why, but um, he wants to be there all year long. He wants to be, take, he wants to take the Dodgers to the world series again. He wants to be a part of that team where he gets to pitch maybe game one of the world series or whatnot. So I think he's just taking a precautionary where he kind of knows, Hey, I could, I could probably do something that, you know, what, 26, 27 people have, ever done in the, the game, but I want the team to win. I want the team to organ the organization to win more than my personal goals. So I respect him for that. But, you know, it's, it's that hard seesaw, like, you know, do you want your personal goal or do you want the team goal? I mean, you know, it's it just, it's hard. It's, it's one of those things. There's really no wrong answer or right answer 
when it comes down to it. You know, we talk about you playing for the Padres. You've also got the Padres podcast. And look, I saw you, Darvish, on opening day have a no-hitter through six, throw over 90 pitches. And I thought to myself, mm, is he really built up to do that? Next time out, he threw, he gave up nine runs in an inning in two-thirds. I don't know that they're correlated, but I don't know that they're not either. So maybe Clayton's right. Like, hey, I'm just not ready to do this yet. Yeah, maybe that's the key. I mean, uh, you Darvish could spread them out over two games. That'd be a lot better. But, you know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, you just don't have it. And when you don't have it, you got to figure things out. And you Darvish just didn't figure it out that day. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm high on him that he's going to come back and he'll be fine. But, yeah, it's one of those things, you know, it, it, I never thought of it that way where you kept going, kept going. Maybe he should have just slowed down a little bit. But, you know, only time will tell. But it's um, – it's, it's fun to talk about baseball right now because a couple weeks ago we were all always <laughs> talking about is baseball going to play, is it not, they a short year, CBA this, that, blah, 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 the owner, Bastard, you know. Now we're just got, we're talking about baseball. We're talking about pitching, situations, history, perfect games. You know, it's fun to watch. We're, you know, we're watching, you know, Vladdy's son hit three home runs <laughs> that, you know, dad never did. So it's, um, it's pretty, it's pretty nice and I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, we're, we're a Red Sox station, Sox home opening weekend this weekend against the Twins. As a player, after a spring where you're away and then you start on the road for the first week, what's it finally like to get back home, to do the opening day ceremonies in front of your fans, get the first home games under your belt? Okay, so when your opening day is, there's nothing that compares to opening day in baseball, but I'm telling you, if you have an opportunity to have opening day on the road, and then, uh, you know, a couple series later, you get to go home and have your opening day that way. It, it rejuvenates you, even though it's a week or one or two series. It's, it's, it's almost like you're blessed to have two opening days. Hmm. Because when you have opening day at your park and then you go on the road and maybe you open up somewhere else, you're kind of like, yeah, I had mine. You're here. But you, when you're like, I would say, you know, um, when you open up somewhere, you're excited you know, they're all about the other team, but you're excited. You know, it's exciting going around. And then a week later, you get to go home in front of your fans. Man, there's nothing better. It's almost like you have a blessed season. You start off on the season on a good note. It doesn't matter your record or not. We're talking with Heath Bell, former Major League Baseball reliever. Spent time as a very successful closer, three-time All-Star. He's got his own podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, talking a lot of Padres over there as well. And the Padres profile to again be, well, last year disappointing, but they profile to be very, very good this year. So, uh, Heath, let me talk about a couple other Red Sox-related topics we've been focusing on. The reports are out that the Red Sox are lowballing both Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts in contract negotiations. If you're another player in the clubhouse, are you paying attention to another guy's contract situation? Are you questioning the team, the front office, the direction of the franchise, or do you just stay out of it because it's not your situation? You know, honestly, when you're negotiating with contracts, you know, you're not talking player within player. I mean, if you're a veteran guy and and somebody is a young rookie, you might give them some advice. Um, but you're really not in the negotiations. I mean, really, the player shouldn't be talking to other players. Like, what do you think I should do? Because it's your own personal decision. Like, I've had a few people were negotiating, and, and I, when I was a veteran guy, they came over and they were a little frustrated. I was like, hey, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm negotiating, you know, contracts, this and that. And I'm like, and my advice was always, just be happy with whatever you sign. Don't matter if the organization, the news, whatever. This is you. 
You know, so if you're happy with X number and not Y number or whatnot, don't be upset that maybe the media or whatnot said you got too much, you got too little, you know, a steal or whatnot. Don't worry about that. Just try. You have a number in your head and do that and try to set yourself up or your family up or whatnot. Whatever decision you're trying to be, just be happy with your decision and not sign something and look back and go, man, I should have waited a year. I should have done this. You know, just go out there and just be happy for whatever you decide. You, not your agent, you and your wife or if it's just you. So, you know, if they're lowballing them right now, they're probably just trying to get a great deal. But, um, you know, who knows? Who knows? We're not in those rooms, so who knows? Everything's just, you know, a rumor. You know, both guys are homegrown players. Do you think an organization needs to make a statement that they'll pay and reward homegrown players? Like, would that matter to you as a young player or a minor leaguer to know that the organization takes care of its guys or that, you know, they have a tendency maybe to use you and then let you leave? Uh, you know, personally for me, I would have loved to be, I was a homegrown New York Met. I would have loved to be a Met. I mean, I know I, I blossomed at San Diego and I was born in San Diego, so I kind of feel like San Diego is home to me too. Um, it would have been, I mean, I, when I was a free agent, I ended up signing with the Marlins, but I was trying so hard to stay in San Diego. And then, um, they didn't want, they didn't offer me anything. They didn't do this. And the worst part about that is I went out, I ended up signing with the Marlins and then the Padres came out and said, no, we offered him money. He just wanted more. I was like, wait a second. No, it's not what happened. So, you know, it's just hard because I know the truth and not everybody knows the truth. So, um, I personally would love to be with an organization that I feel at home, that I want to stay the whole career and whatnot. And, you know, if some guys are like that and some guys are like, I just want to get paid. I just want to, you know, get as big as I possibly can. I don't care where I play. So it's really, like I said, it's a personal preference to every individual player. And um, it's just, it's exciting to see how guys get paid so much money now and whatnot. And I'm kind of like, Man, I wish I was being played. You know, I was playing now. I haven't had a paycheck in a few years, so it's kind of like, huh. So. You know, one of the biggest storylines for the Red Sox this year is Matt Barnes, their closer who last year was lights out, unreal first half of the season, goes to the All-Star game, got an extension from the team in season, and then was just absolutely dreadful the second half of the year. They couldn't even go to him in the playoffs because they had such lack of faith in him. You were lights out a lot of your career, but you did struggle for a period in Miami in that closer's role. When you are a closer and you're struggling, what's going through your mind? Well, I think the biggest thing is you need to have the manager and the guys behind you believe in you. So even if you do bad, they're like, don't worry, you'll get it tomorrow, and you go out there and do it again tomorrow. The biggest, the hardest thing is when you're out there closing – and it happened to me in Miami. I came out there. The manager was coming out to talk about the situation, and he pulled me. And it didn't. It, it seemed like okay. I just walked one guy, and I had one out. I I can totally get a ground ball double play, you know. And then the next pitcher comes in, first pitch, ground ball double play. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I could have done that. You didn't even give me a chance. So you, as a closer, you want the manager to believe in you. And if you if you don't feel like they believe in you, it's really hard to go out there. And I know we're all professionals, and I know we're all men and adults, but it's hard when people don't believe in you, especially the people in the foxhole with you in the dugout, in the locker room. And you're like, you know, hey, I, this is supposed to be my role. Let me, you know, win or lose it. 
And I know it's a team event, but everybody's individual. So, like, if you're the leadoff hitter and you're having a bad week and all of a sudden they put they take you out or put you in the seventh inning, I mean the seventh spot, and the other leadoff guy's not doing as well, it's one of those things like, hey, I could have done that. You know, so it's all about believing in each other and believing in the players. So, it, as a closer, we're all mental. I think every pitcher is a mental guy. Even closers a little worse. But we, you know, to be a closer, you, you're out there, and it's, you almost feel like nobody's behind you, and you have to figure it out all by yourself. And all of a sudden, when you feel like people are behind you, you feel like you're not the closer anymore, and it's kind of hard to get that, you know, edge back. I guess you could say. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. What's the 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 radio appropriate? story that you bring out at cocktail parties what's the first story that you always tell when someone asks well here's the thing so everybody asked about my slide at the all-star game and i said you know what when i first retired everybody went hey aren't you the slide guy at the all-star <laughs> game and i and i'm telling you for the first couple months i was kind of like i was like i was a good pitcher you know i was a good closer like i led the league and i had saves and blah blah and then as time went on that's how people know me. And I was thinking, you know, if I never slid at the all-star game, nobody really knows who I was, <laughs> you know? And I mean, people, you know, fans would in San Diego and a couple other like true diehard fans, but nobody would really know, like even their kids, they can just go, who's that? Say, well, I played in the big leagues, you know, my name's Keith Bell. And then they look me up on YouTube. Cause they, you know, everybody gets looked up on YouTube, young kids on social media. And they see that and they're like, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> So I'm kind of blessed and happy that I did that back then. But that's kind of usually a story that comes up. And then the story comes like, why did you slide? And, you know, I get into that. But that's kind of the main thing um, that comes up a lot. It's always like, why would you slide? Or what's the story about the slide? So I kind of tar- tar- talk about the slide and, and say how, you know, when I first did it, when I first retired, I was like, I was a good player. But anyway. That's you know I can just get into it. We could talk all day about it. <laughs> you know I don't I don't know that this was the case for me, but do you get annoyed when someone comes up to you and says, "Oh yeah, Heath Bell, you won me a fantasy title in uh in 08. Why well, I, I just went, hey, if I won the fantasy title, do I get a piece of the uh, yeah. pie here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Heath Bell, former Major League Baseball closer, Believe Podcast Network, talking a lot of Padres, right? Yep, talking a lot of Padres and then stuff that goes around in the league and stuff like that. We're going to try to go to some Padre games and do some live bits and try to do some live bits like before the game and get some fans involved in this and that. So uh, it's going to be fun. We're, we don't, we're not as analytic as everybody else. We, we, we talk with our emotions. If we don't like something, we say we don't like it. But then next day we might love you again. But I'm a big loyal guy and I just kind of give that insight of what pitchers think. And I will tell you, every pitcher is a little mental and weird. And if you're going to talk about the closers, all our screws are a little bit loose. So <laughs> you never know what's coming out of my mouth. Well, you could doing live stuff from Petco Park would be awesome. It's a great ballpark. I've been there one time. Missed you by a year. But I did see a walk-off grand slam, Everth Cabrera, off of Francisco Rodriguez in 2012. Those are uh, exciting to see. It really is. <laughs> so, Heath, we appreciate it. We'll check out the podcast. We'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Heath Bell, that was awesome. That was awesome here on this Red Sox opener, on this Red Sox home opener. We got Heath Bell talking about what it's like to have your home opener, especially when you come off a long road trip to start the season. It feels like you got two openers. Great stuff on Barnes. When he says you need to feel like the team's got my back, I got to think that Matt Barnes doesn't feel like the team has his back. 
because I don't think that the team has a whole lot of faith in him. Now, we can all say that, ah, you know, we didn't see him early on because of the back, and that very well might be true. But I think that the back is actually a blessing for the Red Sox in that they can kind of work him in these no-pressure situations. I think they really want to try to build up his confidence. In a perfect world, I think Alex Cora would use Matt Barnes as his closer. But right now, there's just not a lot of trust there. Not a lot of trust there. I had forgotten about Heath Bell sliding in, sliding into the mound at the All-Star game. I don't even know what year. Guys, can we find out what year that was? I had totally forgotten what year that was. or uh, I had totally forgotten that story. Uh, 2010? 2011. Yes, 2011. Yeah, sliding into Enter San... Or no, sliding into... I don't know what his song is. I thought I said the song, but nonetheless... Uh, yeah, Heath Bell gets uh, gets slides into the All-Star game in 2011. Very, very cool. So good stuff there from Heath Bell. Red Sox lose today by a score of 8-4. to four. We don't have, like I said, not here for a long time today. Or, yeah, not here for a long time. Just here for a good time. Um, we come back. I want to get a little bit into the Celtics. And this will be time to leave. Celtics and Nets, they kick off their series on Sunday afternoon at 3.30. Bradley Beal says Jason Tatum could be the face of the NBA. Do we buy that? That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on this Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. Ended up being a short show today because the Red Sox went long. Sox lose the home opener to the Twins by a score of 8-4 to despite a home run by Rafael Devers, a home run by Alex Verdugo, and an RBI double by Kike Hernandez. Sox back at it again tomorrow with coverage beginning at 3-10. Celtics take on the Nets. That comes up on Sunday, 3-30, game one of the Eastern Conference playoffs, the first round. Good stuff from Chris Forsberg of NBC Sports Boston, who talked with Bradley Beal, who is Jason Tatum's longtime friend. They're both from St. Louis. And they talked in part about the idea of Tatum and his ability to potentially become the face of the NBA. Every time you walk in Boston, you walk around the streets, like somebody has a number zero. Like, that is crazy to think about, crazy to see. You know, so embrace that, understand that every time you step on the floor, you kid you're a kid's you're a kid's dream you're a kid's favorite player right go be that and more for this league so that doesn't mention specifically the idea of tatum being the face of the nba but i'll get to that in a second i love beal's message to tatum like just a reminder that every single night every single time you step on the floor a kid is watching you and you are that kid's idol so often in all of our jobs most of us it doesn't matter what we do we all think there are days where we can skate by and it will go unnoticed. There are days where we can be a little bit checked out. We can have one eye on the clock. We all think that that's the case in our jobs. Maybe we can just give a little bit less today, and it's really not going to matter that much. For most of us, that probably is true. It's not true for a guy like Jason Tatum. There's always someone 
watching. There's always someone seeing you for the first time. There's always someone whose dream it is to watch you and to be you. And that kind of responsibility comes with pressure. And again, it comes with a great deal of responsibility. I think it's wise advice from Beal to Tatum. Like, hey, just remember, as a friend, there's always someone who it's their dream to see you and to be around you. So I thought it was sound advice from Bradley Beal. As for being the face of the NBA, could Jason Tatum really be the face of the NBA? It's so tough, but I I just don't see it. I just don't see Jason Tatum being the face of the NBA someday. Not because Tatum's not good enough. We don't know if he's good enough to be the number one guy in the league, the best player in the league, but to be the face of the league... You just have to have that magnetic personality. People have to be drawn to you. You have to have a little bit of loudness to you. And Tatum, thus far in his career, he doesn't really have that. He's kind of quiet. Well, he certainly gets emotional. He's quiet. He's reserved. He's a little bit dry. And that's perfectly fine. If that's how he wants to be, and that's what allows him to get the most out of himself as a player, I don't knock him for not showing more personality. But the guys who are the faces of the league, they generally have that it factor. And it doesn't feel like Tatum has it in terms of being the whole package. He's got the whole package offensively and on the court. He doesn't seem to have the whole package when it comes to the the off-the-court stuff and the charisma. It's like we talked about yesterday in baseball. Bryce Harper was on the cover of a video game. He's not the best player in the league. Mike Trout was the best player in the league for a long time. For my money, still is the most talented player in the league. Bryce Harper was seen as more of the face of baseball because he was willing to put himself out there like that. Javi Baez is on the cover of a video game. Fernando Tatis Jr. is on the cover of a video game. They've got spunk. They've got charisma. They've got a bit of an it factor. I don't know that they're the best players in the game. I know for a fact that Baez is not, but... I don't know that Tatis Jr. is, but he's got that it. Clayton Kershaw doesn't have that it. If you want to be the face of a league, you have to have that kind of charisma, that kind of pull, that kind of magnetism. So I don't see Tatum being that guy. LeBron was the best player. He had a charisma. Like Long before LeBron was unlikable to a lot of people, LeBron had a great smile. He was just a kid from Akron. He wasn't really conceited. Like, LeBron has taken a turn in the last decade where he's become not likable to a lot of people. He's become arrogant. He's become a little petty. He's become conceited. He's got the decision which weighs on people, the politics stuff. All of that weighs on people. Before all that, LeBron was just a kid with a great smile who was trying to live up to expectations, and he was a guy that you could root for. And that's how he got to be the face of the league. Steph Curry has that charisma. He has that pull. He has the the shimmy shake. He's got the game to back it up, but he has the personality. I don't see Tatum having that. Giannis has that personality. We see him on commercials. He's got this kind of innocence to him. He's got the great smile. Heck, Zion, if he plays and is good and is healthy, he's got the charisma. He's got the spunk. He could be the face of the NBA for a generation. I just don't get that impression from Tatum. And I don't know that he wants that. He wants to be seen as an upper echelon player. There's no doubt about that. He wants to be a top five player. He wants to get top five dollars. 
So he wants it all when it's on the court. But off the court, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know that I see that from him. I don't know that I see the possibility, and I don't know that I see the desire from him either. All right, that is going to do it for us. Short show today. Got on the air at 6.05, and we just rolled through. Red Sox lose the home opener 8-4. to Tanner Houck on the mound tomorrow as the Sox host the Minnesota Twins. Sonny Gray will be his opponent. Our coverage begins at 3.10. First pitch is 4.10. Sunday, 12.35 pregame, 1.35 on the first pitch. We do have NASCAR racing coming up on Sunday. They'll be at the uh, dirt at Bristol. That's a 6 o'clock start with our coverage there. Thanks to Heath Bell, the former Padres, Rays, Marlins, Diamondbacks, and Mets reliever, who's a three-time All-Star. He joined us. Full interview available on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Have a great Easter if you celebrate. Jazz with George Thomas is next, and I'll see you Monday. Go, go, go.